Welcome back to Safe Toddles Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Dr. Grace Ambrosakin with my co-host, Kelvin Crosby. Hey, Kel. Hey, 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 everybody. It's so good to see you, even though I can't see you. It's been a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I'm excited about our conversation today. So, Grace, why don't you introduce us to our our guest today. It's my absolute pleasure to introduce us to Elga Jaffe. She and I have been friends for two decades. I think I met you in 1997. Uh, I wasn't even a thought back then. So there you go. And (laughs) (laughs) It's not so long ago. And you know what it is? It's the best thing is that we're talking about safe toddles. We're talking about pediatric bell canes. Elga is practically one of the first people that I called and tell about this idea that I had. Do you remember anything about that time, Elga? Oh, yes, I do. You called me and told me you had this wonderful idea that when toddlers got up and started walking, they could have something in front of them to protect them that was hands-free so that they didn't have to learn to manipulate a device. And we were thinking of maybe, I don't know, all kinds of ideas. And then I got a call from a colleague at Hunter who said, I just rode up in the escalator. You can't believe what Grace just thought of. It's fantastic. And we were talking about it. And we all thought it was a wonderful idea because I know from my experience in the very early infant programs, trying to use mobility devices with kids, I didn't have much to work with. And and then Grace developed and developed and developed, and we ended up with the toddler cane and now with the pediatric okay. health cane. Right. Fantastic. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, isn't it cool how we innovate things? And as, as we start from the beginning of building something, and then you, then you go, oh, well, maybe that might not work, but hey, now we're at the belt cane and it's making mega progress. Um, can you tell us a little bit, like, what was your first instinct when you first saw that belt cane, like, and you saw it in use? My first reaction when I saw that is I didn't expect it to look like that. <laughs> But when I took another look at it, I realized how functional it is. And I realized, I thought back over all the children that I taught, and this is my 51st year with in the teaching, 1971-72. So it's my 50th year in O&M. So I've taught a bunch of children in my life. And I thought back over the children that I taught who were not school-age children, who were either early... It was even before the days where we called it early intervention. And, you know, we tried to be creative. We used push toys. We used, oh, the Fisher-Price popcorn poppers so it would move in front of them and they'd hear the pop, 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 pop. We tried um, those little push carts that had blocks in it that we that we waited, that we waited down. We then, then when Fisher Price advanced, we had the Fisher Price and other toy companies shopping carts, which when the kids would hold the handle, would flip back in their face. So we would buy five pound bags of rice, and the kids would push those. And then when we moved on to a cane. Mm-hmm. 
they really had no idea how to hold a cane, how to manipulate the cane, and also any internalized notion that a device could be used to protect them and move them around because a toy is a toy. And yeah, they had fun running around with the shopping cart and the bag of rice, but there was nothing in there that said, this takes, this is a tool that I use. It was more, mm. this is a toy I'm playing with. And although it did make them more mobile, it wasn't a purposeful mobile tool. They ran around and played and we couldn't use it to say, now go from your playroom into the kitchen to see mama or any mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so as you kind of saw that and you saw this belt cane kind of progress, you realized, oh, we're kind of doing the combination of the cart. We're kind of doing the hula hooping and all that stuff. When you started seeing that develop and you realize now the kids are seeing this isn't a toy. This is a tool that really could help them overcome their challenges of walking and learning how to navigate. Is that kind of something that you started seeing as it developed as you were talking about with the cart? Yes. Mostly I thought back to how wonderful it would be if this tool was available when I taught so many children. When I retired from New York City, I moved to a rural area. And of of course, the population uh, is much sparser. And I thought about the huge number of children that I taught in New York City and in the New York suburbs that really could have gotten a more solid Mm -hmm. foundation that I could have done better by had I had that tool. It made me think of one of my colleagues who is a totally blind gentleman. People in New York know him, Paul Sarland. And also my other colleague that I met when I worked at AFB, Scott Marshall. These two men were leaders and brilliant and grew up with a Slayton stylus and a Braille writer. And they both, as the Braille note came out, and the technology got developed, they said, oh, imagine what I could have done in law school and what I could have done with advocacy had I had this technology then. Then I stopped to think, what could I have done with those children? And what could those children have done had they had that technology then? I mean, the parallels in how our knowledge base has grown is really expanding learning and developmental opportunities for the people we're here to teach and work with. So Alka has actually used the Belkane with uh, several of her students. And so I wonder if you would take us through sort of the two, I think it was two, a boy and a girl. Is that right? Right. There were two children here that I used the Belkane with. The first child was three years old, just leaving early intervention program and coming to her pre-K program. She was so-called non-ambulatory, flopsy, head down, whole body arched over. And physical therapists gave the same story that I've been hearing since 1982, when I started with the New York State, New York State opened the children's program in 1982. The same story, the physical therapists didn't find anything wrong with their muscles, didn't understand why they wouldn't move forward. They found eventually that that there was low tone from lack of use of muscles, but nothing clinically wrong. Why weren't they moving? And we had the same discussion. Who is willing to go any place if you feel like you're going to get hurt? And so this child 
was looked exactly the same as the first child I saw in 1982 when I got a list of referrals from the New York State Commission for the Blind. I looked at this child and I said, this is a chance to say to myself, now I have the tool. I don't have to look back and say, I wish I had the tool. I showed some of the videos to the child's mother. I showed the videos to the early to the preschool coordinator and to the teachers of the visually impaired who had been involved with the child. And they looked at it and they said, oh my God, this can really help that child. The physical therapist, for lack of anything else to do, had the child in a backward facing walker with her arms on the armrest. And of course, who's going to put their foot forward if you don't know where your next step is going to be? You don't know if you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to crash, right. you're going to bump into something. And so we had no problems administratively. The preschool coordinator was so excited that she took the videos from the Safe Toddles website and brought it to the school district central office and showed it to the superintendent of schools and to the director of special services, which here is called Exceptional Children. They were so excited, they wanted it. Their big worry was, this is a very poor rural school district. It's not in our budget. How will we pay? for it. Safe Toddles didn't give us one minute of hesitation. We took measurements and they sent a cane. At that point, the child was still flopsy, (laughs) nonverbal, and she knew me by then. We'd had body image lessons. We sang, we talked, we walked, and I knew we were going to get the belt cane for her. So we were playing games and she knew who I was and she was very, very easygoing, relatable child. When the belt cane came, I let her explore it. I told her, this is is new. This is for you. And she touched it. We put the strap around her waist very easily. She took the belt and put it around her waist. We clipped the cane in place and she stood up and then started moving spontaneously. I was doing okay. Follow me, follow me. She didn't want to follow me. She didn't want to come to my voice. She just wanted to get up and move. (laughs) And she got up and she moved. And then, of course, we started doing the typical O&M things of of where are you? Where are you going? Let's. There was a goldfish tank. The child had a tiny bit of vision and there was a tank with goldfish in the hallway of the school. So we went there and she put her little face up against the goldfish tank. And now she was not verbal. She was not speaking. But she started moving and she started moving in the direction of where she wanted to get to, to go to the goldfish. We went to the goldfish tank. The only thing that frustrated her was that when she found the goldfish tank head on, I had a teacher to make a a quarter turn to look at, but she was so motivated to look at the goldfish. She really didn't very much care. The way I taught her to make the turns, the way I teach all kids to make turns who don't understand language yet, I touch them, give them a little tap in that direction and move. The second or third time she got it just fine because she felt safe. It didn't take forever and a day to teach her to make a turn because she felt safe and protected. When I came back for subsequent lessons with the cane, well, she moved so fast, she busted the cane. She wanted to get to that goldfish tank and she wanted to run. And this is when she started actually verbally expressing herself. She walked so quickly. I was trying to, you know, give her a a ref a reference so that she would move a little slower, crashed into a protruding wing wall. Didn't get hurt, but the cane snapped at the top. And she said, "Uh uh-oh. That was the first verbal communication 
that was focused and related wow. to her experiences instead of just babbles. And then she did something even more remarkable. She slid her hand down that had snapped, made a brace for it with her hand and continued walking. I, I thought that was very positive. Yes. And the PTs came and worked with me and they took away the backward facing walker. Mama came. She wanted to take it home. She even sent child's aunt so the two of them could do it together. And when she was in the in the aunt's house, she could use it as well. The only stumbling block I had, and I had it with child number two also, was classroom staff. They did not grasp it. They did not want one more thing to do. It was difficult. And I've had that difficulty even with canes with older children. Okay, your mobility lesson is done. Fold it up and put it in your cubby. Now, we use canes. Right. And the this was on a frame with a belt. Oh, well, we'll put the belt in her in her diaper box and we'll put the cane and we'll hang the cane on a hook there. No, this is something she uses. And I did not overcome in that school or in the other school, the barrier of classroom staff using the cane the way it should be. And unfortunately so, but I think also what's interesting and sad is when the child is willing to sit or self-restricts in such a, a severe way that they don't move around, they're not as much trouble. They're quite easy to kind of oversee because they don't move anywhere. They don't go anywhere. They're quiet. And it makes the job so much easier than a real three-year-old who wants to stand up, move around, interact with the environment, make trouble. And and that causes you to have to work. And the other three-year-olds did that. And some of them were in that class. It was an, uh, an integrated inclusion class. There were kids whose parents were using it for daycare. And there were kids who were there yeah. and were placed by the district. So it's tough. Runners. Um, but what we did do was I discussed this with the preschool coordinator who wanted none of it and who continued to have meetings with the classroom staff. She would call team meetings and we would talk about ways that we could facilitate facilitate it. But without that grassroots support, the classroom aids is where it fell down. And we were working on it when mama had just about had enough of it and unfortunately removed her child from that school and did, the child did not attend school again until she went to kindergarten. By then I had retired and there's a new mobility teacher there and I don't know what they're doing. Well, it's tough. And I do believe you have made a temporary fix of the cane. It's a very rare occurrence that they break. And then I think we sent you a new frame oh, uh, I knew after that as well. Yeah, just as a clarify. <laughs> immediately. Right. But I'm going to tell you, the good news is this child she spoke. felt so free to run around the hallways. Yeah. She felt so free to run around the hallways. I mean, the, the difference in this child of being slumped over and not going to wanting to run and starting to speak. I mean, there alone is what we want. I mean, that's what she didn't have any patience for me. I would start <laughs> my lesson. I'd always start with songs and gross motor. And then we'd go walking and then we'd come back and we'd do some concepts and gross motor songs together for three year she wanted no part of it. As soon as I came, she was standing up. Never mind that. Never mind. Your, everything grows together because you're all one piece. Who cares? Just let me get moving. And the other thing we did, there was no problem with the cane. It, it, things break. It doesn't matter. We fixed it. And we got a new frame and we continued. But the thing that was so wonderful was that the child was willing to run fast enough to break it. And the thing that was so wonderful 
was that she wasn't willing to give it up mm-hmm. once it broke. She tried to fix it herself. Uh, and you know what's so interesting, Calvin, is you know that our mm-hmm. literature would say about this little girl she's not motivated that she doesn't want to go that's why she doesn't go she can't see others go so therefore mm-hmm. she doesn't know what it means to run that's why she won't run we have to put her in physical education and teach her how to run and what it's Elga is saying is no 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 as soon almost as soon at three this is a real three-year-old four-year-old thing it's not a two-year-old thing as we keep discussing two-year-olds have their own thing but at three they're ready to they, she wants to go yeah. She wants to get moving. Well, they, she wants to run. She wants to move. The fact that she doesn't see other people do it doesn't enter into the conversation. It's just she has been self-restricting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's just so beautiful about the story. Um, and I think I, I'm really excited. I also want to hear about the little boy that you've been working with. Okay. Um, because these stories are just so beautiful. And it just proves why I believe in this product so much that we're giving the opportunity for the kids to live beyond their challenges literally from when they start learning how to walk even before the the belt cane is giving that up that freedom saying i can do this and i think i mean i i always say when i first touched the belt cane myself as a blind person um as a deaf blind person i i was like the information i got from that belt cane was incredible you get more information from that belt cane you get from a regular cane and i would just like this is amazing if i didn't have to touch it and it's on my hips why wouldn't this work and i think that's what's so exciting so can you tell us a little bit about um about the little boy story we really i'm really fascinated <laughs> the little the the little boy was a child who has a is a child he's still a child he has a genetic disorder and it's a very sad genetic disorder that gives them a very short lifespan probably mm. to 11 at most to 15 years old it's a degenerative mm. condition and he came to us from we're in coastal north carolina and it's as a um, marine pilot and they were transferred from their school district, the military school in Virginia, to the Cherry Point Marine Corps Station that does not have its own school. So he was in public school. And part of the syndrome he has keeps the children with very small stature, very frail bodies, limbs that are almost as thin, oh gee, probably as maybe two fingers together, my two fingers together, very thin, Mm. and very rapidly degenerate generating neuromotor function. So when he was in the preschool in Virginia, he was fully ambulatory and pushing an AMD. And he understood what the AMD was and he liked it. When he got to the school in North Carolina, he was already in kindergarten and his muscles were starting to deteriorate. And he had ankle foot orthotics, then he had full leg orthotics, and he wanted to keep moving. And his motor control, his fine motor control, his strength couldn't handle the AMD any longer. And because he was so small of stature, we decided to try to use the the belt cane. And again, we had to, We I presented it to the IEP team. We went to the central office. We presented it to the IEP team includes mama. When we went to the central office, we presented it to the director of exceptional children's services. Everybody thought if this could give this 
this child a chance to run and play safely. Let's go for it. The physical therapist was part of the team and that's what we did. And the physical therapist and I used it. He used it during mobility lessons. The physical therapist used it to build muscle development against muscle degeneration. Mm -hmm. And for a little while, the device allowed this little boy to run and play safely. He's now degenerated to the point where the physical therapist has said it's simply not safe for him to walk. However, what he learned about the environment, he has low vision. If he had low vision at that extent and did not have the severe neuromotor complications, he would probably be a low vision mobility student who used cane selectively. But because he had the belt cane, he was able to get to do things and see things and learn about the environment that he couldn't have done before. So now that he's in a stroller, sometimes he can use the backward walker, but he has a seat there so he can sit down. He's not walking off into nothing that he doesn't understand. He's not walking off into a big blur that means nothing to him. He's had a good year interacting with that environment, learning about it, learning about his space. So now that he's being pushed in a stroller and using a walk, a backward walker with a seat, he's situated in his environment and knows as much about it as he needs to know so he doesn't feel like he's just being a thing being mm-hmm. taken places. Yeah, I mean... As much as it's a sad story, but it's also a positive story. Like he's having the opportunity to live his life, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the win we can get out of that story and to look in the positive side of it. And it's just so again, it comes to prove what this belt cane is doing. It's giving these kids an opportunity to, of life, like life from when they should be experienced, and giving that opportunity. Yeah. And Ellen, I just thank you for the time that you've given us today. Um, Well, I want to add one thing before we wrap up. I think the most important thing that you said after listening to these stories was these children could expand beyond, expand their horizons beyond Mm -hmm. what stereotypes and preconceived notions had Mm -hmm. put there for them. And that's wonderful. So, Grace, you got any last word before I wrap it up? Well, of course, I do really appreciate Elga's uh, just helping us see the journey that she took, uh, being there from the beginning and then trying it and then seeing with her own eyes um, the benefits. And it's it's taken a lot to, to get where we are today, but to have these stories to help others to hear them, it means a lot. So I thank you so much, Elga, for coming and talking about your experiences with the pediatric bell cane today. Well, I've seen a lot of changes in O&M over the years. I started in O&M in 1971 as a graduate student, and I've served in many roles, and I've seen the profession progress and grow, hiccup and stumble as change came along, but eventually move past it and expand the horizons for people who we are there to teach. Yes, ran the New York City O&M department and, uh, for New York City schools and um, uh, tr- you know, was a highly effective uh, researcher in O&M. And, you know, I think we should do more next time, Cal, of introducing our guests. We're not very good at this yet, but I'll put it in on the blog and podcast description because she really knows of what she speaks. And that's yeah. really the value here is she has a great deal of experience and um you know, the weight of what she says is we should all take to heart. Absolutely. So, well, thank you. And 
guide that wraps up today. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to info at safetotal.org. If you want to find us on the web, go to uh, safetotal.org. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on any platform you would like. Just at safetotals. So again, thank you all for your time, and you guys have a great day, and go live beyond your challenges. Have a safe Mobility Monday, everyone. <laughs>